You are listening to PD in Pajamas, the only podcast where you can get professional development credit in your underwear. Our mission is to provide teachers with quality professional development on the go. Learn from real teachers and experts on topics that you care about. Listen anytime, anywhere. Enjoy season one, classroom management. All right. Hey, Nate. Uh, thanks for doing this for us. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, like what you what you went to school for and uh, where you went to college? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I went to Utah State University, Logan, Utah. Go Aggies. I went uh, to school. I got a Bachelor in Arts in History Education with a minor in ESL, English as a Second Language, and a minor in Business Management. And uh, it's Aggies, huh? Yeah. Logan, Utah, right? Yes, sir. It's a beautiful area. When you you were de- you had a lot of degrees there, you were declared an education major the whole time. Uh, as soon as I declared, yep, I waited to the last <laughs> possible second, but uh, I had to decide. I was willing to not worry about making money and worry about doing something I believed in. Yeah. And as soon as I made that decision. I declared as a education major. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I should tell you this: uh, my name's Nathan Florin Anderson. N- my grandpa Nathan, he taught for forty years oh, wow. in uh, Northern Utah, uh, Lewiston mm-hmm. area. My grandpa Florin taught just over here in Murtaugh, Idaho, for his whole life. Um, he became the superintendent there, and uh, I'm named after both of them. So, I mean, I wouldn't say it's destiny, but come on. <laughs> well... I have a good legacy. You, yeah. you. I know a lot of people I've talked to you do have siblings or family members, and um, I have no one. I have no one in education, but... Really? Yeah. I'm the, yeah, I'm the most, first one, but... A lot of my cousins, my sister now. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. My mom graduated in it. Only she taught okay. us six kids. But. I take that back. My uh, my wife's my mother in law has an ed degree, okay. but she never taught. Yeah. So when you were at, uh, I don't think I've talked to anyone in this podcast about uh, that went to Logan, to uh, that was an Aggie. Um, but in your studies of how to be a teacher, do you feel like you had a classroom management uh, course, or was it integrated into your courses? What do you remember from uh, from that? We had one semester-long course, classroom management, and I think it was actually actually pretty progressive for the time to have a whole course on it, not just yeah. No, work a it lot of people things. haven't had any. So, University of Oregon, same thing. I know uh, someone who taught pre-service teachers there for a long time, nine weeks, and they they're top ten in the country in education for the last thirty years. Utah State's top thirty. Wow, uh, I did not know that. And I mean, these progressive, high-level institutions are. I mean, we all know teachers don't know classroom management when they get into the schools. I know I didn't. Even the teacher then, she was even pretty progressive with some new found ideas on education and classroom management specifically. And I remember us as college students, we almost rebelled against it. Mm. Like, what do you mean handle that? Punish the kid. Kick him out. That's what. (laughs) Send him to the principal's office. That's all we knew. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, that's all most teachers know. And... I would love to go take that class again now. So you so you remember it. You you almost rebelled about it, but you remember taking the course. Yeah. It was a dedicated class. So you you do that and then where was your first teaching position? Uh Twin Falls, Idaho. Okay. 
at a middle school. They had a half-time social studies job and a half-time ESL job. Uh, interviewed for both of them. And uh, this was um, during the recession. Mm-hmm. The month with the lowest hires nationwide since the, since the Depression. I was lucky to have a job. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I was working nights at Kmart or something since I graduated. Not, not being able to find a job. There's nothing for graduates. <laughs> Kmart's gone now. Yeah, so you know. it's gone. Okay. <laughs> it wasn't my fault. It was, long, it was a long time ago. Uh, but they put those two jobs together for me, made me a full-time position. Wow. Um, didn't realize it at the time. It was actually two full-time positions. Oh. I was case manager for a couple dozen ESL students mm-hmm. at a middle school, as well as I taught oh, about over 90, almost 100 students in social studies as well. And... Uh, both of those were so full-time you, jobs. You took two jobs on your first job. That's right. Going to that first day in the classroom, like, what do you remember on the very first day? You know, I felt like I, I think most teachers do now, We they use their interpersonal skills, not their classroom management skills, to manage a classroom. And that's obviously not the most effective way to do it. Um, it's more effective than anything else you, you've got. So, yeah, I mean, every yeah. class I had was 35 or more students packed into a small little classroom. Well, I want to stop you there because I think the way you worded it was really interesting because a lot of teachers will say, well, I was like, um, you know, trying to be friends. I've had, um, we've talked about student teachers wanting to do that. So when you say, as are you saying that you used your interpersonal skills, meaning you were trying to use your social skills and make friends with the students as a compensating tool to maybe not knowing what to do in some of the situations or what do you mean? No, you can have an influence over people. Uh, how you stand, the voice, tone of voice you use. Okay. Your, uh, and these are all like basics of classroom management that I didn't know I was using at the time. Mm-hmm. I just knew, hey, when I'm trying to talk to my friends or get people's attention, I have to kind of talk like this, and it works. Mm-hmm. So we just use our world, world experience. Yeah. Try and apply that to 35 middle schoolers, and you can get somewhere. But, yeah, I think you do end up falling into the – friend level rather than uh, like a different figure and nothing you do is intentional all you do is survive uh, well, well I was a little older when I started my first job even though I still was kind of like wanted to be that cool friend teacher I think the age I, some uh, people start in their in their early 20s I was I was much older and were you older a little bit older yeah no, I was so I think it makes a little bit 20s. of a dis- difference when you Definitely see yourself older. I lost my hair too, so it made me definitely look different and distinguished. I couldn't uh, couldn't blend in with the crowd, but so, but, so that, go back to that first day of the first classroom. day. Yeah. How about this one? Yeah. This is a good. One. First day, I'm teaching ESL, and Twin Falls has a refugee uh, center. Yeah. So I had students from Nepal, Tanzania, or Tanzania, uh, Myanmar, or they're Bhutanese refugees, uh, Mexico. And actually, France. This family had moved over from France. And they, I remember I opened my door first day as my ESL class. And standing there is this little seventh grade girl. She's in her first day of middle school. She's in her first day of middle school in a new country. She's in her first day of middle school in a new country, and she doesn't know the language. Oh. She doesn't know a wow. lick of English. And her mom's standing there, and she says, Hello, this is Marie. She doesn't know English. And she was in your class. I'm like, 
all right. And like, you know, best face forward. And I'm all said, come on in, Marie. We're going to have a fantastic day. So exciting. And she just loses it. Tears just down her face. Uh, I'm like, oh, you don't start doing that because I'm right behind you. <laughs> it's my first day, too. Oh, my gosh. I think I'm way more nervous than you are. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, I, I, I saw her graduate. And she speaks oh. to me in English now. And they were cool. just so excited every time they see me. It's just uh and I see my students, my Nepalese students, and like, oh, Mr. Anderson, I graduated, but I, uh, I'm not going to college. <laughs> I'm like, hey, you better get, you know, he can get there. They know my, what I expect. So. Well, it's kind of it's, that story puts a good perspective of how a lot of us feel on our first day yeah. and our first year, right? As that girl broke down being in a new country, we often feel like we're in a whole new world, uh, speaking a new language. <laughs> new language. <laughs> Do you think? Well, it's. You did this for how many years? Were you in the, this middle school? Yeah, so I taught five years in the middle school. And um, then just on a whim, I applied to be an instructional coach and became an instructional coach. And I was the PBIS coach for the school at the same well, time. Before that, you got, a, did you, get, you got a master's degree in probably curriculum. Curriculum and instruction. While you were a teacher and yeah. then became yeah. a coach. Mm-hmm. Kind of the pathway there. So I guess as speaking as an instructional coach, yeah. like how did you, you got to work a lot with teachers who are probably struggling in this first uh, year teachers department struggling, teachers struggling within classroom management. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So what did you see when you became, you know, that coach that got to kind of see behind the scenes, a lot of what was happening in, in the classroom? Uh, what did you notice? Like what, 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 what were teachers doing? That was yeah, absolutely. messing that up. Good teaching looks like magic. It looks like magic. Mm-hmm. You walk into a classroom. Remember, there's a teacher who wasn't. She was four foot eleven. You couldn't tell her apart from the students. Most of her students were taller than her. But she'd walk into a room and she'd just command it. She was intentional. She knew what she was trying to do from the beginning. She laid down the expectations clearly. She was consistent and predictable throughout it, and all the students know knew where she was, and they all loved her for it. Mm-hmm. These kids, especially. They don't have a lot of stability in their lives in lots of different places. If they come into your class and start pushing around the edges, it's because they're, they're looking for stability. They're, they, they say, I want to know where the line is because at home I get scared. I don't know what it is. Mm. They're not going to tell you that. Mm-hmm. But they want to know where the line is because they want to know if you're going to care. They're wanting, they want to know if they're going to get hurt. They want to know if they're going to be scared. So... Instead of sitting there waiting for it to happen to them, the ones that really want to know push it from the beginning. Mm. So if you can set it up clearly, be consistent and follow through, it's predictable, that feels safe to them. That's what they're looking for. And that safety looks like magic. When kids feel safe, yeah, it's like how they feel at home, maybe, and they're comfortable and they're... They don't even know you're doing it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) They couldn't tell you why they act differently in one class than another, but they know they do. But what do you do when you have this, the new teacher who's, you know, you're hitting it semester, you know, there's stuff going, maybe they come to you and say, because you're the coach, can I get some help? Um, What do you, can they turn it around or, or is it just like, well, trying to implement this or maybe better luck next year or what do you? No, absolutely. It's your strategy. That is a little more difficult uh, to do it just I'll put one caveat on there. Anytime you can have a school-wide system that supports teachers and students 
in the area of behavior, the better off everyone's going to be. Uh, you know, the positive behavior framework mm-hmm. in place. Everyone, all the students know that supports first-year teachers. That supports struggling teachers so much. And it knows what questions they need to ask. And it makes it okay for them to come ask. Mm-hmm. Because they know, hey, this is the expectation for students. This is the expectation for staff. So I was lucky enough to work in classrooms where that was the case. We had uh, a clear process for teachers to follow, and it was school-wide accepted. Here's what I tell them, though. Start from the beginning. Put together some clear expectations. Make them comprehensible to the students so they understand what they are. Don't make too many of them. And then teach them to the students. Highlight them throughout the day when you notice them doing them. Mm -hmm. They have to know what respect is. They hear that word all the time. Is any of them going to be able to repeat it back to you? Or do they all give you a different example? Start letting them understand what respect is and then keeping them to to that line and letting them know, yes, that was respectful. Thank you. I appreciate that. So if you just start right there and then all the research says you can't, you can't teach a student new behaviors through punishment. You can stop a behavior through punishment, but most likely what's going to happen is another behavior that you don't want to see. So if you want to teach new behavior, you have to do it through actual teaching, which we're good at. We're teachers and reinforcement. You know, having those, that whole school approach is going to be really helpful for the new teacher. Yeah. And it gives the new teacher tools like PBIS, for example, um, I know something we'll talk about here in a little bit later, but having that, when you first learned about that kind of school-wide support system, um, did it change you as a teacher? or was Blew it, my mind. Did you learn about it when you are teaching or when you were coaching? So I was a teacher, um, and the counselor came to me and said, we really want you to be on this team. It's like a PBIS team. I was like, I don't even know what that means. No, yeah. thank you. Yeah. I have to do a couple days in the summer. My wife's can like, I'm already working 16-hour days. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and she came back the next time. No, really, really want you on the team. It's like, you know, I'm sorry. I just, you know, if I can help out on the side, let me know. Third time she came back and she says, this is when the training is. Thanks for being a part of the team. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> but I remember something happened in my class. I was, didn't know what was going on. I remember, I don't even remember what the thing was. I remember going across the hall. Hey, how would you handle this? Oh, I'd handle it this way. Well, that's not what I did. Maybe I'll ask this other guy. No, that that was something different. And then I asked the person next to me. That was another third. I'm like, okay, no one knows what, how we're supposed to handle this situation. Mm-hmm. Finally, I go up. You don't like doing this as a first-year teacher. You look you don't want to look ridiculous. So I go up to the administrator. How would, how would, I, how would I handle situation like that they told me a fourth thing and i was like i you know what i'm not gonna address it anymore because i'm not gonna be able to do it right right mm-hmm. i don't think anyone's gonna back me up on i I'm, that's how we feel as teachers you don't want to look dumb yeah you want to look like you know what you're doing you don't want to mess up anyways but you don't feel, want to feel like you have support uh, you don't have the support of like an administrator or absolutely your department head or something if they're giving you different responses. I'm worried I go ask the the other administrator. They tell me something different. <laughs> yeah. No, no. So isn't this written down somewhere? <laughs> yeah. I mean, all we had was like, if it's their phone, take it away, you know. And but then parents get mad and call, and then they, oh, sorry, here you go. We'll get back to you. Yeah. We don't know what the teacher was doing. Oh, You're like, I was yeah. trying to follow the procedure. <laughs> Dress code's a classic one, right, where no one knows what's going on. And it's hard. I mean, I'm not blaming the administrator either. It's, yeah, yeah. If no one knows, no one knows. 
So we went to this PBIS training and they said, level these out. Here's the levels of behaviors. Here's the levels, a menu of consequences that can be given. As long as they fall in here, these are the lines you do. This is what's teacher managed. This is what's office managed. And I helped draw up that document. Like it was, it was my Bible. I was like, <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, I spent time after school. I went around all the different teachers. I went back and forth through administrators. Like, you okay with this? You okay with this? Because um, I knew that's what we needed to have a consistent framework across the school. And that's a pretty simple thing. So you have uh, four categories, right? You got classroom managed on one and two, um, but you have different uh, consequences that are kind of outlined by the school. Yeah. And then three and four all kind of like when you send a kid to an office and you kind of have the expectation of what the office is going to do um, as a teacher. And the, right. procedure to, and the procedure to follow through with each one of those and any paper, paperwork that needs done is labeled right on there. So essentially, it's a, we, you can, we put it together with a flow chart, and if you can follow an arrow and answer a question, was the student unsafe? Yes. Did it interrupt instruction? Yes. Yeah. Was it one of these behaviors? Yes. Did you call the parents? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, you know, <laughs> I can do that. Like, that's... The beautiful thing was... Uh, some teachers put it up on their wall. Mm. Kids would come over, or the kids would be messing around. They, hey, come over here. Look at this. What behavior were you just doing right there? You know, they know what they're doing. They're yeah. all that one. This is my list of consequences that I can choose from. Which one do you think you should get? Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, well, don't really want you to call my parents, so I guess uh, mm. I'll take a change of seat. Oh, you want to change your seat and change your behavior? Okay, thank you. Like that, just turned it all around. You're no. It's so hard not to take misbehavior personally in your class. It gets so yeah. emotional, and you're already trying to think about how you're going to pay your mortgage, and some kid talks up to you, and you think yeah. you have enough to worry about. And so you, it gets emotional so quickly. You take it personal. Kids don't, kids don't realize the stresses that we go through as <laughs> teachers, and then they'll just pour on to it on the worst day possible. <laughs> that we're waiting tables and <laughs> working at Pizza Hut yeah. night. And, yeah. Uh, so anyways, when you can make it system-dependent, and the teacher knows what they need to go through, you can address those a non, non-emotionally, mm-hmm. matter-of-fact. Hmm, this is what the... This is what this, this says. is what the school says I have to this do. This is what we do here. This is what we do, yeah. And you know that when they go up to the office, that the office is going to agree with you. Mm-hmm. Because that's what... And if you made a mistake and you mis- mis- misinterpreted the behavior, that's okay, too. They'll, then you can have that conversation with the administrator. Mm-hmm. But you can be backed up, too. Well, you know, I didn't have that on my first uh, teaching position, uh, that the PBIS wasn't, uh, or there wasn't even a systematic, right? Right. Uh, Especially, I taught uh, some fifth graders who were pretty um, naughty all the time, and they didn't know what to do. No one ever told me what to do when they're completely (laughs) disrupting the class. I'm like, uh, sent to the office, and then they get sent back, and uh, other teachers are like, oh, yeah, they don't do anything, or there's no... And it's really kind of just the symptom of this, not having a systematic approach to discipline where it's kind of a free-for-all. And then you see, well, well, maybe they're playing favorites. Maybe, oh, it's because it's, uh, you know, that's their neighbor or they get off like that. And that can cause a lot of resentment in teachers and a lot of distrust and not feel like they're safe as a, you know, trying to enforce some of that stuff. But what if you have something on your menu that you've never seen before? What do you do? You edit well, it. Uh, so you have 
a behavior that you don't know or a, a response yeah. you're supposed to do as a teacher? Uh, a behavior. It's not on the menu? Yeah. Which, I've seen these lists before. They're very comprehensive, but it, there could be something. Yeah, absolutely. Or, uh, then I think it's nice when you know that that's out of the lines. You know, when everything's out of the lines, who knows? But when that one thing you haven't seen before, that's what, I'm, that's what we're talking about here. Like, you know where the lines are. You know where the, the boxes are. And it's not, I mean, there's gray or there's interpretation. There's professional judgment still at that point because it's a menu. But you'd be okay. Uh, but you can add, you've seen things get added before. Like, yeah, absolutely. There, there were living documents there. Because there might be some teachers who want to maybe just start to build this on their own before they can approach it to the whole school. Absolutely. And so they got to know they can, you know, add some different things. And here's the deal. The whole deal with this is work it into your uh, into your system, into your culture. Some schools pick three levels. Some pick, you know, two, a major and a minor. You know, mm-hmm. make it as simple or as complex as you and your students can handle. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and as straightforward uh, as possible. All of these are living, working documents, but the key is everyone has it, everyone knows it, and everyone follows it. So it's PBIS, like, uh, like something, like a software program you can buy, or is it a philosophy, or is it um, just research? Because you see a lot of different kind of things like that out in the education world. No, that's a, give us a little bit. Yeah, that's a great that question. Is. How about even a quick history? Behaviorism, B.F. Skinner, you know, they, they can almost predict people's beha- behaviors, becomes a science. Applied behavior analysis, they figure out how to do things purposely to help people, like, essentially live better lives. Mm-hmm. And then you apply that to a school. It started out, students with severe behaviors, especially in special education. And things were going really rough. So these applied behavior analysts went, worked with the students, figured it out, like got them to quit a behavior that no one thought they would ever quit, got them to start doing behaviors they should be doing, they put them back into the classroom, and it all falls apart again. Behavior is environmentally driven so often, mm-hmm. determines the behaviors that are going on around us. So after quite a while of doing this and noticing nothing sticking, and every once in a while it would stick, they went and figured this out, Oh, it's the environment. You know what? If we're really going to support these students in need of uh, intense with intensive behavior support needs, we need to start from the beginning. We need an environment that is predictable, that is consistent, that is safe, uh, that is that is uh, controlled. So they applied these behaviorist principles to like a whole group. What would it take for most of these students? in this whole building to understand what is they're supposed to do to be reinforced in it so it becomes consistent, a habit, and just what we do here becomes expected. And then uh, what are some things we can put in place to deter what we don't want to see? And then for the students that this doesn't work for, how can we then ramp up the support and give them the support we need and then put them back into that environment that is going to be successful for them. So it's kind of like, it sounds like the RTI process. It's not like it stemmed off from RTI or special ed interventions and has grown into basically a philosophy, a philosophy, can't speak, philosophy based in research um, that applies to a whole school or classroom. Absolutely. Right. So they took applied behavior analysis principles. They took, borrowed from the, 
the public health mm-hmm. sector, mm-hmm. the three tiered model of support with tier one coming first and being most of the population, the universal, the primary support, mm-hmm. and then giving extra support as needed beyond that. I honestly, I guess I didn't know that stemmed from medical yeah, and public health, field. public health. Field. Mm-hmm. Oh. It's so related. I, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, think about it. You go to the doctor and they say, are you exercising? Are you eating healthy? Are you drinking plenty of water? Are you getting plenty of rest? Yeah. How, how about all of our students? How about our whole school? Are we doing those things that would work for med, in the medical field? How can we do those? Are you, do you know what's expected of you? Are you following through with that? Are you, do you know what, what you need to do in this yeah. certain situation? Uh, and so if we can do that behaviorally and... Well, I know the systems and protocols uh, and even the legal aspects of special education are really tied to the medical field um, because they are so closely related. Yeah. And uh, there's so much responsibility. They they overlap. And this being kind of pulled from the same idea um, really shows it probably has a lot of evidence to support it. It's not um, a gimmick. Because uh, I see a lot of things uh, in education that are like, this will change behavior at your school, or this will improve your academic, and they're, they're kind of touchy-feely programs mm-hmm. that maybe make you feel good in the moment, but don't have really strong evidence or you know nationwide support. Absolutely. And this is pretty much nationwide, right? Absolutely. So, 30 years, one of the most researched uh, educational philosophies practices it's evidence-based there's dozens of randomized uh, empirical Mm. uh, research trials uh, control with controls peer-reviewed now there's 26,000 schools across the country almost a third of schools in the u.s that Mm. across the across the country Um, and the deal is is you take these behaviors principles and then you put them, uh, what the, and what they did, the last step they did was implementation science. Mm. So how can you get this into an organization now? So you have these principles. Great. Now go ahead and change this whole organization. So they've, uh, they've married it to implementation science. So schools can come in, get this, understand the framework, understand the principles. Yeah. And then just uh, the question earlier, I'll finish answering it. It's a framework that you apply to your level at your school to, that meets the needs and culture of your staff and students. It's not a golden bullet. You know, it's not the golden gun. You know, yeah. it's not the silver bullet. Yeah. And we love talking about that it's not because other people try and sell you it and it gets really expensive. And mm-hmm. uh, and this isn't easy either. You can take, I mean, easily three years to implement, sometimes ten because it's a culture shift. You're changing the way we do things here. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't happen overnight. And that's the only thing, only way you're going to get your environment to change, which will help change behaviors. Becoming a great teacher is about being a great leader. If you want to add more leadership to your classroom, try out my book study of Brene Brown's book, Dare to Lead, available at cpd.nnu.edu. Click See the Course Catalog then click CPD online and select Dare to Lead Book Study to enroll. So to back up just a little bit, so you are a instructional coach. Yes, sir. You in, implemented a, a lot of PBIS, what you did as a teacher, um, you did as a coach. I'm sure you helped build that into your schools. 
And then you were approached by Boise State and said, hey, will you come implement this in schools across our state? Because right, I know, and tell us a little bit about um, what you actually do now and how that kind of came to be. No, thank you. Great question. So I was at the school, got the experience, became an instructional coach, and essentially went to the principal and was like, and like, I want to be the PBIS coach as well. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, okay. Like we, we had been doing that a little bit in the past. The, the coach left and so it kind of drifted a little bit, but I knew as an instructional coach that that would be my whole time putting out fires individually mm-hmm. as an instructional coach trying to get to instruction um, if behavior was out of control. So that was an invest time investment for me. Let's do this school-wide. Mm-hmm. Have the, the support all the teachers need and get it to them so then I can focus on coaching instruction. Mm-hmm. I think there's a, a glass ceiling that we reach when behavior's out of contr- too out of control that we're not going to get to the academics we, we need to. There's not going to be enough time. There's no. not going to be enough focus. There's not going to be enough motivation for students. There's not going to be a culture of learning. And without that, it doesn't matter how many textbooks you buy or test test preps you do or it even doesn't matter how proficient you are in the content absolutely. you can't control the classroom you know? absolutely yeah. and then we have time out of school time lost to behavior mm-hmm. and we got to return that back to our students and return that back to our teachers so so why did you leave uh, coaching to, to oh, that's, pursue you know hardest decision I've made, and it was kind of a, a life change point as well. We won't go into that, but you know, the, a health situation with my two-year-old daughter, and she got cancer, and I uh, was sitting in the hospital actually when representatives of Boise State called me and said, "Hey, we want to. We know what you're, you're doing at the school with PBIS, and we want you to come work with other other schools and help take this across the state." Mm-hmm. And uh, I miss the classroom every day. I'm classroom is an amazing place yeah. it's a wonder the most complex environment that we know of one of it's according to research um but amazing so what schools is your, are amazing what is your official title though i know you implement this in schools yeah, you're, so, like a, you're still kind of a coach i still see you as a, <laughs> as a coach an instructional coach but you're kind of a little you kind of statewide coach i guess for boise state or yeah so the reason i said yes was because it took what i was doing with the school yeah and i felt like the teachers appreciated it, and I felt like it made a difference with the students. And they said, hey, come do this with, we currently have 40 schools on board across the state. And I, I saw myself as that first-year teacher thinking, feeling lost, and thinking, what if I could help provide this for 40? And rural schools is who we work mm-hmm. with um, predominantly. So I can help 40 schools, hundreds Maybe thousands of teachers, mm-hmm. tens of thousands of students, rural schools, maybe not tens of thousands. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> not that big. <laughs> but, I mean, over the years, I mean, yeah. they're, they're going to go over through time. this, and we hope that these schools implement these couple years we work with them and that it maintains and sustains. We're building local capacity, so that will happen. And uh, think of the impact that could have, and it's pretty humbling to be a part of that. PBIS Statewide Tier 1 Coordinator. Okay. That's the title. So... Uh, sounds a lot Did, more highfalutin. Didn't you say somewhere in this conversation, go Aggies? I, just, I, just, I vaguely remember that. Go Broncos, baby. Go Broncos. All right, all right. They pay, they pay me to say that one. And uh, it makes for a really easy Aggie-Bronco game every year. It's a win-win situation. Oh, you're so. comfortable. Oh, my goodness. 
you know, when we talk, we talk a lot about PBIS, which I think is such a critical part of, you know, building a foundation for teachers, especially new teachers. And part of our goal here and our mission here is to give uh, new teachers some skills or something they can use in their classroom. But as I was thinking about some of the things you said, I'd like, if they had this, if schools had this set, you are helping ease the difficulty of transition into the profession. You're probably helping the people stay longer in the profession because it's that first handful of years where people will get research out. scientifically proven. The original statistic is over 50% of our teachers leave in the first three years, mm. citing mainly behavior management, uh, problems with behavior management students, among other things, but that's, that's a top three every time. Oh, that's how is that sustainable? Yeah. We're, we can't keep the, our best ones around because they realize they can go do something else and be appreciated for it mm-hmm. where they are here. Uh, I mean, that's a, another long conversation. But in this area specifically, mm-hmm. if we took that or made that a little easier, gave them some skills in their tool belt to be able to handle these things, gave them the support even better at the school-wide system, then we're going to have more teachers stick around. And it's – I mean, I'm – if you want the research, I'll pull yeah. it up and I'll print it off for you. So. No, if if a teacher like wants to start diving into this, can they do it on a classroom level, or does it have to be? You kind of spoke a little bit to yours, but does it have to be school wide? Can they start yeah. learning about this the, as a teacher? The school wide system, obviously best, but you can start doing things in your classroom right now, right? So I mentioned the first one, having that clear expectations, teaching them, and integrating it into almost everything you do. You could even talk about. If you're reading the book, talk about, hey, what are the three principles of our, or the three values that we hold in our classroom? How are these people doing it in this book or in history or mm-hmm. uh, these scientists? You, know, you can bring it in all even through curriculum and then acknowledge those things that those students are doing well. Mm-hmm. I used to think, hey, my class is here. Everything's going pretty good. These three students, they're goofing off and go put all those three kids into place, I'm an awesome teacher. Mm -hmm. I was wrong. If I went around and found the 20 kids that were doing what they should and acknowledged them for it, I'd be 10 times better off. Why? The first way, what message am I sending? You want my attention? Attention is the currency of human beings, right? Mm -hmm. If you want my attention, what do you got to do? Goof off. That's what that first one says. If you want my attention in the second example... Do what you should be doing. Nine times out of ten, the students who weren't doing what they should were off task will get back on task. Notice what things aren't going well and acknowledge what should be going well. Now, obviously, high levels of behavior, you have to intervene. And and if it's consistent, then you go address it. But these are human beings. How would you like to be approached and told, hey, you know, things aren't going very well? If I was in a training and someone came up to me and was like, this is my course, this is my training, you can get out of here if you don't want to be a part of it, I'd be like, yeah, thank you, I'm going to leave now, because I'm a yeah. human being, I don't, yeah. how, how would I want them if they came over and were like, you know, we're really trying to accomplish something here, and it's hard for it to happen, and I feel like there's some things that can go differently if you'd be willing to try some of those things, and so we can move forward i'd be like okay i feel terrible now i'm so sorry that's the that's most of us as human beings so uh, when you talk about keeping this positive conversation going or keeping the positivity and focusing on it are there things that like messaging that appears in schools or like things as posters or slogans that kind of 
deteriorate that kind of positive message that we you want to cultivate? No, that's a good question. I think mostly it's in our interpersonal yeah. interactions. You can put the posters up. We recommend it. That has a huge subconscious effect on us. Yeah. Seeing those words over and over again, that's the messaging when you walk in. You want to walk into school and be like, hey, this is who we are. We're respectful to each other. We, we, we take responsibility for our lives. Well, so that positive messaging. Like, I think of one, uh, I walked into a school, and, and we had uh, pictures of dress code, and we had the underwear hanging out, and the chains. This was probably from the 90s, right? And it was, uh, to me, it just represented, it was so outdated, for one, but it represented, like, oh, here's everything. We're going to display every day for you to walk by what I don't want you to do. Mm. And it just seems like that negative messaging, right? Instead of either, you know, even I removed the poster just because I felt like that's what, <laughs> what I wanted, what I felt was best because I don't want kids staring at it. But is there stuff like that? That's yeah, where I would that, that's go. Good. Yeah, absolutely. That that's bit. there if you have those positive words and like we are the bears. We are, you know, like, what do you want to be? Go tell everyone. Yeah. And put it up on your walls and then say it to each other. Uh, and then just... So do you recommend schools have like a slogan or some some uh, uh, words that they should repeat or maybe post like like you were saying if that whatever that mascot is they should be um, saying something yeah or create and something do you know what they are whoever is listening to this knows what it is because you are in your school that's the key apply yeah. it to your culture apply it to your students let them help come up with it let the yeah. teachers be a part of it decide who we're going to be as an as a as a group of people. A school is an amazing place. It's a, the only place I can think of where the bottom line isn't a, it's not a dollar sign. It's a human being. Mm -hmm. That's what we're producing here. There's money involved in it. Sure. And we have to deal with it. But if you talk to any teacher, that's not their bottom line. It's, it's those individuals. What a special place to be. Decide what you're going to be and go work towards it. Put all the, the systems into place so that teachers are reminded of that. So they can remind the students of that and everyone can live by a part of it. Our whole experience is made up of small little interactions every day. What are those going to be like? Is it going to be someone tearing you down and telling you what you're doing wrong? Because we can have plenty of that. There's plenty of that out there. I don't think we need to add to that. Mm -hmm. Or are we going to tell people what they're doing right and tell them how they're being a part of what we're trying to accomplish as a group? Get people to believe in something. I think I believe in education. I believe in students. I, I want that to be my message. Do you have a single tip to you know, make it use today? There's a couple of them. If you want, let's start with this one. Just positivity. If, you, if you're just feeling kind of down about things, a lot of research out of Harvard, uh, positive psychology, it's called. Sean Aker, Harvard researcher, love him. Some research says you write down three things that you're grateful for, three positive things about your day each day and make them different every day for one month. It'll turn around your perspective and you'll start seeing the good things in life around you when before you only saw the negative. So three things rewires your brain. So three things that you need, uh, three positive things, but they have to change every day. It's for different days. every day. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> you got a long yeah. list, but I'll tell you what, there's enough of them to write down. Yeah. We just don't look for them all the time. Just like those students in our class. We aren't looking for the 25 that are being amazing. We're looking at the, 
two or three that aren't doing what they should and we're giving that all the attention, all of our energy. What if we flip that? Now, don't get me wrong with the students. How about this other tip on the flip side? Because someone's going to be like, thanks, Pollyanna, (laughs) right? (laughs) Don't Pollyanna. Here's, Here's the deal. With the students who aren't doing what they should, every behavior has a function. It's all fun and games until someone figures out the function of our behavior. What I mean by that is we have a need we're trying to fulfill by our behavior, whether it's escaping something or obtaining something, escaping attention, escaping work, obtaining attention, obtaining stimulation. Every behavior can narrow down to those two things. When a student does something in your class, you don't want them to, and you've taught them the right way and you know, they know they should be doing it the right way. Mm -hmm. Figure out what need are they trying to fill? Mm. Do they want your attention? then find a way to give them that attention before they have to ask for it that way. Oh, yeah. Right? Very true. Every behavior has function. So there's the, the, I'm sorry I gave you two. You said one thing. Hey, two is better than (laughs) one. You got a two for one deal deal. from BOGO. (laughs) Okay, that's all the time we have, but thank you so much for doing this. uh, And uh, any last advice for teachers out here listening? I I do want to say that uh, what a noble profession I only see amazing people in education, even the ones that aren't maybe doing it how they should. I know they got into it for the right reasons and they might be a little jaded, but you'll still see them do amazing things and really care about the kids. People aren't in it anymore unless it's about the kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you deserve a million dollars a year. And I think uh, after the pandemic, every parent knows that. <laughs> um, and just be your best. Keep trying your hardest. Keep your, keep your chin up. Um, right now you may not be making money, but you're making a difference. If you want to take this class for credit, go to pdlearn.nnu.edu and click CPD online, then select PD in pajamas to enroll in the course.